What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And as always... No, not as always, because we're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly. And I am joined today by uh, the regular uh, co-host of our sister podcast, Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? I'm doing fine. I'm ready to uh, get messed up defending random strangers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What well, is random? The random, uh, the man with no name, or the samurai with no name. Although, <laughs> actually, in both cases, the men with names. Um, <laughs> what we're going to be we're now doing uh, on the cycle, we are back to then and again uh, the episode. So, so we look at an original and its remake. In the last episode, I did The Evil Dead, 1981, and its 2013 remake. That's a 32-year gap between an original and its remake. That seems like a, se- a seasoned period to be making a remake. But we're going to try something different today. We're talking about a film that has a three-year <laughs> gap between its original and its remake. And actually, the fact that the remake, in this case, is an, ofi- an unofficial remake... That had litigation against it. Yes. Um, and which we'll get into. Uh, we are going to be talking about 1961's Yojimbo by Akira Kurosawa and 1964's A Fistful of Dollars by Sergio Leone. Uh, in both cases, uh, a stranger wanders into a town occupied by two warring gangs. And using his skills as a fighter, whether that be a samurai or a gunslinger, uh, manipulates either side to make as much money as possible. Uh, but in doing so, helps uh, a small family court in the middle of this and does not really make any money. And again, at the end of the film, wanders back into the wilderness um, to, in both cases, uh, sequels. So... Mm. Before we get specific about either of these, because um, let's, let's be clear, there's obviously more remakes of this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, there's a Bruce Willis one in the 90s called La, uh, Last Man Standing. Uh, there's been others, like this anime version of this. I think there's a, there's a I think I saw like a, another Spanish version or something. But um, this has been a template. But this idea of sort of the warrior stranger um, in this period and stuff like I don't even think Yojimbo is even like the first, really. It sort of obviously comes from their Edo mm. uh, era, sort of kind of their own mythology. But what are your thoughts on this 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 sort of archetype, this character, this this the stranger with no name kind of deal? It does feel very archetypal. I mean, I'm mm. reminded of uh, some of the the Grail romances, and you know, all of the the, the frankly bullshit you know stories about knights. Yes. You know, wandering into situations and then there is the morality is is much clearer. Right. It's a much more black and white world mm-hmm. in which, you know, the pious Christian knight 
defends the maiden or, or helps the town, you know, that's under an enchantment or something like this. Um, but it, it does seem to work better here, right? I mean, yes. these are these are gritty stories and you can utterly see from Yojimbo why this would be infinitely adaptable to a Western. Yeah. Right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think we'll get to the end as well. We'll sort of talk about the pros and cons of each. You know, I don't think I don't think it's possible to choose a favorite. I don't know, but like, there's pros and cons to each. But yeah, this idea, this you say this this sort of chivalric character, this the wandering errant knight, you know, out to prove themselves and on quests, whether it be like a Grail quest or whatever. They like say comes across a town and saves it from a dragon or a, a, <laughs> a you know bandits or whatever. Like you said, they are the good. They are always you know if you're going to be um, you know, D&D or whatever, like they're lawful good kind of things. Mm. You know, they represent the authority. Um, the characters in this, both sort of like, you know, um, in Yojimbo, sort of um, uh, Toshihiro Mifune playing Sanjiro and Clint Eastwood playing Joe. Like they are not, firstly, they're not on a quest. They're just wandering. Um, and secondly, like, they are not good in that classical sense. Like They're not... Mm-hmm bad either like you say they've got that real gray area um and I, I do like the fact that sort of well we'll we'll get into something about a fistful of dollars actually and how that gray morality was a real problem for them when it hit america mm. um and what was done about it um but yeah i like the fact that they're not clear-cut characters no and i think it, it works much better here mm. um than in you know a, a knight errant sort of thing um yeah it does sort of strike me i i do have questions about it though in both films um it seems as if the arrival you know obviously where they go is random right mm. there's a sort of wonderful um um you know randomness to that that you know that reminds me of um you know disciples falling down and, you know, uh, and deciding which direction they go, right? There's mm. this sort of resignation to fate that's wonderful there. But then they both seem interested in money. They seem interested in, you know, normal stuff. I mean, they're not bad guys, but they're not good guys. Um, and, and they certainly both seem untroubled by the fact that innocence will die. That's just the yeah. world we live in, right? Yes. Um and and that's part of the the charm. And but then I'm not sure entirely what sort of turns them by the end of each film into a sort of good guy who's content to leave without any money. It seems as if it's just a sort of very silent rage builds within them against injustices that they see and mistreatment of characters that they like mm. um, that ultimately causes them to sort of by a step of ratcheting of inches, take this good guy stance. Yeah, they're almost sort of, um, well, uh, I have questions about that, actually. So the randomness, I mean, to talk about that first, I think you're right. I, I like the fact that, uh, especially Yojimbo starts with, um, with Sanjiro sort of walking down the thing. He picks up a stick when he comes to a, like a, a, you know, a junction and just throws it in the air. And he's like, oh, it's pointing that way. All right, I'll go that way. Like, it, like you say, it's an act of fate that he ends up in this town. Where he comes across that small 
house um and he hears the family talk you know he obviously he's welcomed in and he hears them talking about the gamblers which is their word for gangsters or uh hoods and so he, he sort of it's yeah it's a complete act of like you know, fate it's, it's accidental that he um ends up there but he does say something when he, so when he goes into town they both they both walk into town in a similar way and they're both introduced they give they both got like a bit of a an introduction so in uh you know, jimbo it's the um he's called the guard He's got a stick, and then he also tells the times. So he's got the two pieces of wood he claps together for like noon and stuff. And he gets a bit of a rundown of what the town is. He sort of talks about the two different gangs and that sort of thing. And in uh, Fistful of Dollars, uh, Joe gets a similar thing by this guy who sort of rings the bell. That's all he seems to do for when people die. Mm. Um, and he sort of it's the bartender who we meet eventually that's gives him this rundown of the two the two gangs. Now Joe, as you say, sort of actually says, you know, you've got the Rojos on one side, you've got the Baxters in the mid on the other side. I find myself in the middle and there's money to be made. Mm-hmm. Um Sanjiro, on the other hand, actually sort of acknowledges it and everything. But then he, he actually says to the bartender at one point about wouldn't it be a better place with all the gamblers gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I I don't know if he's actually coming in already with. He's looking to make money because he's obviously looking to palm them off. But is is Sanjiro's intentions more moral than Joe's? I felt that too, um, and and I watched them back to back. I I watched Fistful first, uh, mm. and Yojimbo second. Um, yeah, and I, and I sort of caught on to that too that. You know, it, it does seem as if Leone has sort of accentuated the um, amorality in mm. order to, um, well, you know, in order to do something really remarkable, which is, um, you know, obviously this was not the first um, spaghetti western, you know, no. which is to say cheap Italian production of an American genre. Um and, you know, nor was it the first, you know, American down on his acting luck to, mm-hmm. to star in one of these things. I mean, you see this in like Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood references this. Um, but it's remarkable because, uh, you know, because that this film was so influential, yes. not expected to be a hit, but was so influential and utterly transformed the Western genre from a genre that was popularized, you know, that was epitomized rather by John Wayne, you yeah. know, being that night era, you know, golly gee, we gotta do what's right, mm. you know, into this very amoral landscape of anti-heroes and, um, you know, this sense of the just doesn't win. This is not an ordered universe in which we find Joe. And, so it's remarkable then to recognize that that's not a borrowing. Some of that is borrowed from Yojimbo, mm. but that those elements that make it most unique from other Westerns are actually new or accentuated in the Leone production. Yeah, I think that's that. I think that's a fair point. I think you know, um, and like I say, the character of Joe throughout 
it, it, we'll, we'll get to um, the decisions he makes later on with regards to um, what's her name, um, mm. the the woman who, the woman Ram- who. Ramon uh, Rojo is, is taken a liking to, and it's a similar story. But the reasoning behind the two, what he does, is is different. Uh, or if there's a drop line. But yeah, as we walk into this, I feel that like, you know, like Joe is just feels like he's, uh, clean, you know, he feels like he's come across a lucky situation. He's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I feel like I'm good enough to um, manipulate the two sides and come out on top. I mean, like, that's the whole, his purpose in this, because he keeps sort of like wonderfully sort of later on where he's sort of like, you know, he has information and he's like $500. And... <laughs> You know, he keeps making this money, but like, yeah, Sanjiro is manipulating the the situation to bring about the downfall of the gamblers. Um, and I think the way I feel that that plays out most is in in Yojimbo. Originally, it's the two gangs, um, and they they sort of have these different characters. Like, there's the I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Unfortunately, I may try pronounce some of them in a bit, but one of them has this like comedy sort of like idiot brother that's mm. in there. Um, I'm going to try and do it, but um, and what he does, he when it starts off, like he instigates a battle between them. Like that's the whole point. Um, you know, he kills a couple of them and then goes off and joins one one clan and he gets paid thirty ryu um, for his parts and all this other stuff. And so they see him as that they see him as the balancing factor. So he he instigates a battle. That's the whole point. Like his original plan is just to have this battle and have them kill each other off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like this, I like there's a moment where they're like, oh, you know, they're like, we can, of course, we can take them. We've got this new guy, his with his skill, and we've got our swords teacher, who then runs when it comes the push comes to shove. Yeah. Um, and then he steps out and he's like, well, no, actually. Things have mm. changed, and I'm stepping out. So he steps up and sits on the, yeah, the top, and then basically he's full intentions to watch them kill each other. Yeah, that's that's his plan, um, and it, it doesn't go to plan. And I think the thing that really throws it all out is when one of the clans has a brother who has left to to learn elsewhere, to be educated elsewhere, and he returns. He's a bit more sophisticated. He's a bit more suave, and he has a gun where the others don't. And he comes in later in the film. He comes in um, shortly because the thing that prevents the fu- the fight is they re- they report that, that there's cavalry, there's an army on the way. There's an officer on the way because a guard in a neighboring yeah because a guard in a neighboring village has been killed. So they're marching through. So the yeah. battle is put off. And so, but the bartender actually says, "It's like you're weaving your own play in this town." Um, and he says, "Well, yes, until." I can't remember the actors until Soto turns up and he's got the gun. Mm, and that mm-hmm. seems to throw it all off. Um, I'm terrible with names. I'm trying to look at my hair. But, um, Yunosuke? That's it, yeah. I knew, you, I knew you'd probably have a better me. He turns up and he's got the gun. Yeah, Yunosuke has got the gun. And he's like, yeah, it sort of changes things. Um, and that's when he starts to learn about the different bits and pieces. And so it starts to play out differently. But, like... Yeah, I never feel watching it this time. I never feel like um, Sanjiro is there to just be like, 
yeah, I can make some cash and then I'm off. Like, you know, <laughs> Joe, like he, Joe would happily yeah. leave the Baxters and the Rojo at the Reacher's throat and he would be off in the sunset $1,000 richer. Like, not a problem. Yeah, you're right. I think I think that as we start both films, we don't know a lot about these characters and they're in a kind of uncertain moral space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, that is accentuated by their stoicism mm-hmm. that none of them, you know, and this is very typical of, of Kurosawa, none of them make speeches about what's good and how yes. they're, you know, I mean, this is not the traditional samurai movie in, in that respect either. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that I, one thing that I really like about, but right, I mean, Joe remains more clearly amoral for mm. longer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the script holds on to that for a longer period. I mean, one of the things I, I like what you were talking about, about this this plan that doesn't work and, and the arrival of the government official. And it strikes me as, you know, it's also very Japanese, you know, not exclusively, but this idea of like, yeah, you know, I mean, sometimes the West likes to think of Japan as, you know, uh, good at following orders and worshiping the emperor and things mm. like this. And the reality of Japanese history tends to be a lot more yeah, there's centralized control, but we all kind of do our own thing and claim we're following it. You know, <laughs> yeah. anyway. Um, so I, I like that dynamic, but I but I also like that. I mean, one thing that I think Yojimbo does does really well there is that it's not clear how much of this is controlled. Yeah. And I think when when you imagine this kind of story, I mean, you can you can sort of project it backward and imagine it as a medieval story in which it's just a good guy, right? And Mm -hmm. and there's no moral ambiguity. Or you can project it forward and imagine, you know, I haven't seen the Bruce Willis film, but imagine more American, shall we say, uh, remakes where one thing that I really hate of, you know, is when action heroes or spies or what have you, every move they make is correct. They're on yeah. top of it. Maybe there's one mistake, but they really know what's going to happen. And I think in both of these films, but especially in Yojimbo early on, you in that scene, you do see the sense of like, yes, these are smart guys who are brave and mm-hmm. have good strategies or good tactics, but life and human personalities are fundamentally unpredictable. Mm. And obviously that's going to go sideways hard for both of these guys halfway yeah. through. Um, but I, I, I do love that lack of sort of, you know, I'm the ninja special agent, you know, I'm, I'm Jack Reacher, I'm, you know, uh, Mission Impossible, whatever. Uh, everything goes perfect, uh, yes. you know. Well, there's a great moment actually in Yojimbo, which is exactly that. Like he's playing them off, like he's been to both, and you know he's he's got money off both, and and whatever. And he's sat in the 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 bar or whatever you want to call it, the cantina, sort of you know with the bartender, and he's just waiting, and nothing's happened. It's sort of it's been quite a while, and he actually confesses and says. Yeah, I'm getting nervous now because they should have come looking. One of them should have come looking for me now. Um, and like he, yeah, see, like it does not good plan because then he sort of, because then he, then he finds out that they're going to try and uh, come to a peace 
Um, and it's it's again that thing. He's like, okay, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> so you're right. Like yeah, like with the you know with Sanjiro, like it's not. It's not that, that one of the things I hate in films, and this is a real, it's a Western trope, and it's a, it's become more and more prevalent in in modern films, is what I refer to as like the omnipresent plan. Yes. Yeah. This idea of sort of like all these these events or decisions that are made, and he's like, ah, I, I knew you would make that decision. And you're like, how <laughs> how did you know that that's like you know that some that person was going to be there or do this thing? Like it, it really irritates me. Like they, they yeah. When films try to make out this omnipresence like cleverness, but like yeah, with with Yojimbo, like he's adaptive and mm. quick and sharp, and that's why he is the 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 protagonist. It's not because this omnipresent plan; it's because he can keep adjusting to the events and still keep directing it in the way he wants it to go. Yeah, I mean, I I think of um, in terms of that omnipresent plan of um, the usual suspects. Yeah. which would have you believe that it was all planned from start to finish, but which doesn't really explain how that would work. And also sort of dark night of, wow, mm. yeah, getting captured was part of the plan, you see. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't make any sense, really. It's cool, but it doesn't mm. make any sense. And then that gets adopted. You know, everybody's got to, you know, yeah. you know, spy fall and everything. Um, but yeah, and, and that is a pet peeve of mine too. And I think that, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of Jean Le Carré recently, and so much of what I love about it is how there isn't that omnipresent plan. Nothing is certain. Yeah. Everybody is, yeah. you know, even the smiley, the most, the smartest people who you're supposed to identify with are still floundering in the dark. Everything has massive question marks attached to it. Um, and it seems as if both of these films, but I, I think probably especially Ojimbo, give that sense of, you know, a masterful person who nonetheless is dealing with personalities, unexpected events, weather affects things, mm. you, know, you know, people's feelings for one another. There's only so much you can calculate and shit goes sideways, mm. right? Um, and I, I think that's much more reality. You know, the, the notion of no plan survives the encountering with the enemy, right? Yes. Uh, that's, I mean, you and I know from jobs, right? Yes, yeah, oh, definitely. If, if that's true in jobs, it's definitely true in war and, and strategy, so. Yeah, and I, I do appreciate that, because, again, one of the things that's interesting is, like, because, hey, although, you know, you know, Jimbo Sanjiro is the protagonist, like, say, in this this sort of driving the lot of the narrative forward, the gangs do play, not like, a, a distinct part. Um, they orchestrate events like the peace talks or um, I'm trying to think of other things. Like there's, there's there's other events that take place that are clearly out of his control that would just come out of nowhere. Obviously, you know, um, they I'm trying to think of the, the example really, but like they have a personality. Is what I'm trying to think. I'm trying to get to is these gangs that have a personality. Like they existed before he arrived. And so, like you know, you see that there's actually a dynamic between these two gangs, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. That is that actually he there is there's information he doesn't have that comes into play uh, later on, um, like the woman and yeah. the relationship between her and this this guy and his son. In in I can't remember the name in Yojimbo. Marisol is is, is what mm -hmm. she's called in A Fistful of Dollars. But that's like throws. That's almost an instigator in Fistful of Dollars. 
where it's it's um it becomes a sort of a plot point but it's almost like a it's a monkey it's like a monkey wrench in the works with with for the ojimbo because it often then becomes this the trade off um she you know she's owned by one of the gangs and then the son of the other gang gets sort of like uh, taken hostage and so they've got to do this trade off yeah. um and again it's like you know he's just watching on and um, you see that the son is there and trying to reach for her, and you realise that she's the mother of this this boy, and the the, the son's there, the, the husband's there, and they've got this. It's a, this is something I want to point out about you, Jimbo. You say about the the grittiness of um, uh, Fistful of Dollars, and it definitely has a darker tone. I would say uh, Fistful of Dollars, like the the Rojos in particular, are much more of a you know, the, and the Baxters feel like a violent more violent it feels like a much more violent environment in in fistful dollars than it does in yo jimbo like they have a comedy element in yo jimbo mm. that that you know is is played up like they're not inept or incompetent as these gangsters or gamblers but there's a sort of they're not to be taken as serious as, as possibly you know they could be they're sort of like when the gangsters all come out and they're all showy and stuff, it's clearly all a bit of show. And you know, these are the, these elements. They're not they're not skilled swordsmen and all that kind of thing. But the gunfighters in in Fistful feel like they could be more of a danger. Um, so when you find out, like you know, this tone that's been going on, so when you find out that that one of the gangs has stolen this woman, has kidnapped this woman, and then keep her in this thing called they call the small house in which she is visited by one of these members of the gang and for all intents and purposes sexually assaulted on a regular basis yeah she's she's being raped she's a slave yeah like it really does sort of like it it, it skews things all of a sudden mm. in the film and i think i think you feel that tone it reaches a point when the Jimbo learns this story um and i love the bartender's um view on this and again it's that it's because some great humor in there's some great humor in yojimbo and it's sort of like but it's not typical humor he says yeah it's his own fault should have had an ugly wife basically is what it boils down to it's like she's she's too attractive it's his own fault and he's sort of like yeah I mean, i'm not sure i agree with that but like you know <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not sure that that you know passes the Bechdel test uh, so to speak but no, um, but it's still I mean, you know, it's still joking. this grizzled old man i can i, I like the fact it's sort of like it's a, still funny it's still funny, yeah. Yeah, well, it's also very. Uh, her name, by the way, is Nui, uh, apparently, so, which yeah. I I know because that was the street I lived on in, in oh. Waikiki. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I like that. It it does seem very very Japanese. Uh, it, the sense of like um, a fate of like mm. yeah, you you think you lucked out with your with your beautiful wife, uh, securing a beautiful wife. What you don't realize is she's a target for gangs, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, when when they can pry her away from you, you know, you, you're going to be stuck loving somebody who is being tortured, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I want to go back to this this point that you raised about. I mean, and, and I know the point you're making about how. It's a little different between the two. Um, I, I, I think you're right that there's more comedy in Yojimbo, but but at the same time there's a there's a sort of like in a strange way the West as presented in Fistful is um 
savage. It is, yes. a, it is a lawless, savage land. And, but it's also one of wealth and opportunity. Everybody's running some kind of scheme. Mm. Um, I think the, the world of Yojimbo is a world that is a little more ordered, mm. but it is a world that's more defined by poverty and fate and one's place in an established society that isn't on the frontier as much as the West was, um, at least in our, in, in our mythology. And so for, you know, obviously both have this sense of backstory and I, and I love what you're saying about, about backstory in, in it's so easy to just say, okay, there are these two gangs, you know, stranger comes in, sorts it out. But to say, no, these are specific places. And mm. there are these events that have happened that will be important to the plot. Um, and, in, and in both cases, the, the wife um, becomes a focal point of the sense of injustice. And I think our rage that makes yes. us identify with the protagonist deciding to just really take action to end these horrible situations. Yeah, they instigate the fun thing. You say about one of the things uh, to go to Yojimbo. Um, one of the things, because again, like, I, I want to sort of we'll get onto how they're shot and how different they are. Um, because some, both of them have some absolutely phenomenal photography in. Um, but the, the way Yojimbo starts as well, this idea of sort of coming into town, and we'll talk about the sort of the tone and the humor. Um, Yojimbo starts with, like, you know, so we said, like, you know, uh, Sanjiro sort of walking into town. It's fate. He's heard about these two gamblers. But when he walks into town, he meets, I think, even before he meets the guard um, and it, it, it gets the information. Uh, and and Mifu, just want to say, Mifune, sort of the way he sort of like holds the screen as well. Like, I want to talk about, talk about the, I want to talk about him versus Clint Eastwood. There's a dog that runs past, and in the dog's mouth is a severed hand. Mm hmm. And it's one of the first things you see when you get into this town, this like, small town. And straight away, like, it's telling you, like you said about this, the savagery. Like, it's like saying, like, no, no, stuff has gone on here. There's already a story to tell. You are, Sanjiro is, is entering a story. Like, he's not starting a story. He's entering a story. And you don't realise, really, that... Um, that Joe, in Fistful, is, is entering a story until much later in the film. Like... His interaction with the gunman and stuff at the start, you know, on his mule and stuff, feels like it's triggering things. Like it feels like it, it, it introduces him. It's not until you find out that uh, Ramon is is actually doing this whole setup and this whole thing's been planned for ages about stealing these this gold and this other stuff from the, the Mexican government. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting how, like, Yojimbo has set, set you up straight away to be like, this one visual <laughs> of this dog with his, hand, with his hand in its mouth, and you're like... Yeah, what's that? Like, where's that come from? What's the story there? Never going to find out, but it tells you like there's <laughs> other stuff going on in this town. Um, I don't know. What you, what, you know, given what are your thoughts on the dog? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it does set up the it does set up that feeling right away. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I find. I want to get I want to get to this sort of I'm not sure if I'm jumping the gun on, on no, sort of the depiction between, um, you know, between these these two protagonists. Um, 
and and how both of and how they function within these narratives that you know what what you're talking about in terms of that they're immersed in these narratives um i think i think that's true for um uh, other kurosawa films I- I- including follow-ups to this I-, I think that it's true of um the the rest of the dollars trilogy that i mean eastwood is a sort of stronger american style protagonist right mm-hmm. um he 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 wants to play the tough guy the the, the action hero you you see it in every gesture every it, it's very well done but yeah. you you see it but what's amazing one of the things that's amazing to me and and i and i in watching this, I, I also watched the rest of the Dollars trilogy. Mm. Is um, and I'm the biggest fan of the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, in particular. Is how much of those films and and Yojimbo as well are not focused on the ostensible protagonist. Yes, there are long sequences that just don't even feature the, yeah. the main character, <laughs> yeah. which is so striking from especially a a present day perspective. No, it's true. I mean, one of the things we should highlight again, like if this was a modern film, um, and it was I don't know whoever the whoever the actor was going to be, if it's a solo film, like it'd be in their contract, or there'll be something where they make up like ninety percent of the scenes that are in the film. You know, they've got to be the the focal point. But you're right in this. But there's a reason for this. I think in in both cases, I think like you know. With Mifune and and uh, Kurosawa, like I think, I don't know whether they had a relationship beforehand. Um, but Mifune, from what I understand, is a very was a very confident actor and was quite comfortable with this idea of sharing screen time with with, with other actors and stuff. Like you know, obviously, obviously done things like Seven. I, I, I know he's done loads of films. I'm not going to try and list. I only know a couple. Like I'm massively underserved in my knowledge of Japanese cinema. Um, but I, I know he'd, he'd been in Rashomon, Seven Samurai, yeah. you know, Hidden Fortress. I mean, uh, Yojimbo's Throne of Blood. So, I mean, this is at least the fifth film he'd done with uh, Kurosawa. So he he gets what you know. I think there's going to be a trust there. Like he gets what yeah. this is about. So that that sort of it feels because it feels like a confident film as well. That's the one thing I'll say. It feels like an incredibly confident film, and everybody in it feels like they're doing really good work. The complete, op, not not opposite. It sounds like, but it's a flip for Fistful. Like it's it's one of Sergio's first films, uh, mm-hmm. one of Leone's first films. Um, he was working on a budget because he wasn't trusted, <laughs> and yes. so he was cobbling things together. And Clint Eastwood is coming in off the back of he's done minor minor film roles, but mostly he's obviously played Rowdy Yates in uh, Rawhide. So he's doing this because it plays against type. Like he's tired of playing the good guy, slightly dopey sort of like, you know, uh, rangy character that he was playing in Rawhide and was like, no, I can do more. Let's see. What... And if anything, like he didn't, this was never intended to be, to be released in the States. Yes. Um. So he was like, all right, well, I could, you know, worst case scenario, <laughs> no one sees it, but right. I get my foot in the door and, you know, I get some extra money and so on and so forth. That was the idea. And if it came to it, he would have something he could show to other studios. Oh, you haven't seen this, but I filmed this in Italy. So 
Mm-hmm. This was almost like him creating a demo reel. That was pretty much his intent. So when you say he's got everything he's doing each of these scenes, like, oh no, it's fully intended. Like everything yeah. he's doing, and he fought with Leone on a number of occasions for specific oh, yeah. things. Yes, um, they did not get all. They had no good words for each other by the <laughs> no. end of it. Right? Yeah. That's so trilogy. the fact the fact that they came back and did two more is 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 amazing, and they are fantastic. I, I again, I love the Dollars trilogy. Um, but yeah, everything that, it, that, it, that Clint is doing in this is clearly um, intentional, yeah. and there's that balance of humor and grit as well. But he's trying to get that end, the effort is cool. Like he he's thinking, and I've, yes. read, I've I've recently read his biography. He's thinking Steve McQueen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah, it, it strikes me that he's. I mean, I'm glad that I watched Fistful before you, Jimbo, because. Um, and I and I'd seen that before, but I'm glad that I did that in that order because I thought, you know, Eastwood with with a few exceptions. I mean, if you watch that, if you watch Fistful straight through with no preparation, you think Eastwood is giving a fine performance. Mm. There are a few times where it's a little off or or it just seems a little overly self confident, uh, you know, given. You know, in a sense, in bravado sort of sense, given the character situation. Um, but you think it, it is a remarkably understated performance, all mm-hmm. things said, precisely because he doesn't have so much dialogue. Um, and, I, and I love dialogueless sequences mm. that are able to communicate through expression and, and uh, action and situation much more than dialogue. It does. I'm a huge fan of doing that. And Yojimbo, I mean, uh, Fistful seems to be doing that. And then you watch Fist, Yojimbo, and you think, oh my God, Clint Eastwood is such a ham. You know, yeah. He's, he's yeah. just yeah. mugging for the camera in every scene. And, you know, he's so obsessed with portraying that, you know, macho, tough guy, which is going to become his bread and butter, let's face oh, yeah, it, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. for the rest of his career. Um, I mean, it's funny you were mentioning he's escaping typecasting, and yet he will be typecast as this yeah. character and, and happily so because when he films his own movies he is still playing that character um yeah. well his biggest oscar win you know unforgiven in 1992 hmm. is is literally him bringing this this whole thing to a close <laughs> yeah well and and uh gran torino yeah he's still this character <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? well, that, that's that's i always think of it as Unforgiven is is Joe or Blondie or whatever. That's the closing of the Dollar Trilogy. Gran Torino is 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 Harry Callahan sat on his his porch. <laughs> that was kids. Yeah, yeah. That's so yeah. it. Like, that's the, the, you know. Um, but yeah, right. you're right. But, but those movies get into those movies get into um, especially Gran Torino. The problem of these films. Yes. Which is that you need that hero, that outside hero, to rescue these hapless villagers, right? Um, that's sort of like... And, and it, but here, it's controlled. Here, we mm-hmm. feel as if they're still good people, they were overwhelmed by circumstances, and it's because... Um, you know, it's because um, the Ronin is such a master swordsman that he's able to sort of sort this out. It's mm. because, but you don't feel as if it's not a sort of colonialist tale in which 
these you know poor villagers are nothing without you know <laughs> no this, this, i mean oh, you don't feel that no th- this isn't white savior yeah syndrome like it's not this isn't <sighs> or even samurai savior yeah know? like yeah right. i mean it's 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 fate it's not yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, one of the things I think to note, actually, as well, is we've obviously referred to um, Fistful as, as, a, as a Western, and it fits in that genre. But it's it's quite clear, and it's stated in the film, that actually this is ha- this is actually happening slightly south of the Texan border. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I actually saw a documentary that referred to it as a Southern, because they were like, lots of spaghetti Western, like where... John Wayne, as you said, was sort of was associated with that Western expansion, that hope of of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, ignoring sort of like the rampant racism and everything that goes with those sorts of films. But where spaghetti westerns and European uh, westerns were more associated with the southern border, um, so everything from like the Dollar Trilogy and there's other spaghetti westerns like Django and all those were actually more associated with the southern border. And so have that different feel. And again, so you get that of, of the Rojos and the Baxters representing, in many cases, that sort of thing of the, the Mexican and the, and, the Ameri- and the American or the immigrant. It sounds off to say, but like, you know, the, the Baxters are clear. I think they're sort of Irish immigrant kind of family that's come in and set up. Um, but, so Clint doesn't feel, like you say, like a, a savior figure because he's just in the middle of these two other factions on a border dispute almost um where with yojimbo it's all like you say all within japan there is no mm-hmm. saviorism to be had there um however having said that and you say about the, the knight errant kind of thing we said before there's still that definite gray morality however and i haven't watched the other so i i do need to i have i now own seven samurai so i, I definitely will watch it and others and rashomon and the other i, I really need to yeah. Um, I adore but, Kurosawa so much. Uh, understand it again. I'll, I'll come back to the, the structure of this film is the, and the photography is fantastic, but there is still how to put it because it's not fetishism, it's not at all that there's still mythologizing. Mm-hmm. We talk about the mythologizing of the, 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 the fan, you know, the lone stranger wandering into town, but this idea of the Ronin, the samurai. Yeah. There's still this thing of like he's not bad, like you know he 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 comes to the right conclusions very quickly, like you know like with with this, and he is considered and he is wise and this other thing you know like, and Mafuni is fantastic. I love it. Like you know he keeps his arms inside his his um, I've got a gi. I don't know what it'd be called, but like that the 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 samurai sort of like costume, and his arms come out and he sort of just strokes his chin, and I love that. Mm-hmm. The considered thing, and one of the things I'm sort of learning at the moment as a personal thing is about, you know, it's about response, not reaction. So you know, you have, yeah, you, know, you can instantly react to a situation, or you can take a moment and you can respond to a situation. And I find that Sanjiro is all about response. Yeah, you know, there's that considered nature of everything that's going on. Like nothing is quick. <laughs> like the film itself lasts about just over two hours, and it's like two hours and eighteen minutes. But, um. I don't know what the period of time is that the film takes place in. Like, it could be weeks that the film mm, takes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like it yeah. could be like nothing. Nothing is rushed. Where with Fistful, it feels a lot more 
reactionary. Like this considered this considered moment, but Joe feels a lot more reactionary. Um, where he makes a decision in the moment, you know, to, to get involved or to do things. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, I think that, yeah, that that is the sort of. I mean, of course, it's it's an Italian film, but that is that sort of like American cliche, mm. right? You know, you know. Let me tell you, we, we Americans, we don't, we do not trust people who who think too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God help us. Um, yeah, there is that sort of. That, that, that sort of stereotype. Um, I, I like what you're saying about how, yes, Yojimbo plays into cliches. And, and, and that's true in, in Seven Samurai, too. I mean, there is, and you see so much of this carries forward in, in like Lone Wolf and Cub, you know, mm. which I sort of grew up on. And, and you know, this, this sort of idea of, I mean, and even the Japanese idea of sort of outward pressure and, you know, the, the white ships, you know, of sort of peasants sort of needing being trapped in a social status quo, right? Where yeah. they need some this sort of outsider to to come in and, and rescue them. And, and that does sort of play into a kind of savior narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so... It's so elegantly wrapped up in this sort of uh, profound beauty of these of these stories in which uh, very much, you know, like this Will Eisner's the spirit, like, you know, the main character is not the focus, you know, mm-hmm. he's a vehicle for, you know, exploring uh, this culture and these people who, um, you know, are sort of trapped in this. I, I like what you're saying. So if we're going to talk about sort of like genre, national mythologies, um, there's that on the Yojimbo side. Um, it's funny because, you know, Tarantino talked about the Southern in, in the context of, um, uh, of um, yeah, what, what is the, God, what is the film? Um, Django Unchained. Yeah, Django. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Right, and... Uh, you know, which is a different sort of take on the Western, right? You know, the real mm. South, whereas this is sort of like the Mexican South, right? Like this yes. is the sort of uh, outlaw territory of, uh, you know, later, you know, Red Dead Redemption video games. Mm. And um, uh, what is the, the Mexican novel? Like the underdogs, like there's no romance to, I mean, if there is a romance to, you know, um, this sort of era it's it's not it along the the texas you know mexican border it's not um the romance of the wild west it's, it's the romance of utterly outlaw people with no morality whatsoever and you know you can have a pancho villa or someone like that enter the picture but even they are brutal <laughs> you know yeah. like it's a context of, um, I don't know, very different context that well, that is makes me a little uncomfortable as an American because a, yeah, well, it does uh, sort of presuppose Mexico as this lawless to this day, you know, yeah. like environment of you know, watch out for those cartels, you know. Well, it it it, it is almost a Western cliche in and of itself. I mean, I think of. Um, yeah, the couple of films, you know, and this is probably a terrible example, to be honest, but like Young Guns, you know, the mm. story of Billy the Kid, 
um, which I sort of, you know, I, I did at my university and stuff. This idea of heading to the southern border. You know, like he, he existed in, in New Mexico, but like he traveled wider and stuff and that. But this idea of sort of if you're in the if you're in trouble, you head south, like, you know, because no one's coming for you there because it's too wild. And that, that sort of exists as that thing, as it's sort of like you said, a, a lawless region. Like there was the Western expansion, but the south is kind of that border area is a little bit unclear. <laughs> and so, you yeah, know, it's specifically the southwest, right? It's yes. not. It's not the South. It's not the, the old no, no, South. No, no. It's not Dixie, right? Um, I mean, this is, I mean, we do see that in, in uh, um, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Mm. But um, yeah, it's not, it's not the Dixie South. It's that, it's that Southwest. It's that Mexico. It's the, yeah. you know, it's not long after the, um, you know, the Mexican American War with no. all of its brutality. And that's um, the Alamo, isn't it? You've got, you know, associated with things like the Alamo, or Zorro, for example, like that mm. hero comes out of this region of Southern California, sort of this disputed mm. area. So, it, but the, that southwestern border area is, you know, it's it sort of like, yeah, it's a lawless, um, and it's used as that lawless cliche, I think, in, well, in many films. You say disputed area, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, not look, now. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But, well, I mean. You know, I mean, it's that mostly is a conspiracy theory of like white people, you know, Reconquista, you know, um, you know, be, who, who don't seem to understand what's being said there. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it, the the Californios would have had a, a decent uh, dispute to, to say, yeah, you know, Mexico, you really don't administer this. And, and they revolted um, um, before the Mexican-American War. But I mean, let's be clear. White people, you know, mostly American citizens, came in and mm-hmm. massacred people and and enslaved people yeah. and took this. So I mean, when you say disputed, it's like yeah, <laughs> and and yet and yet we still have this impression, not without some basis, of uh, the Mexican side of those disputes as utterly lawless, utterly savage, <laughs> uh, and you know. It's, you know, when you look back through history, pretty much you can be sure if somebody's cutting off ears, it, it's mm-hmm. odds are pretty good. It's a white guy. You know? Yeah. 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 And, but but it becomes it. But like you say, it, it, you mentioned a word before, before about how you said, you said our mythology. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. There's a difference, isn't there? There's history and there's mythology. And I, the other thing to highlight with this as well is Leone as well. Um is obviously an Italian director, uh, didn't speak English, but loved Westerns. Yeah. Absolutely adored them. And he was determined to make this film and to make this sort of like mythology. Um, and so when you say about mythology, like, yeah, that's what he was making. Mm. And that was always the intent. Um, and I think that does come across in the film. You know? Yeah. Like, um, and, yeah, you, I mean, unconsciously so. I mean, and yeah, at least with Leone, you can say this is American myth making, but yeah. it's it's an outsider's concept of what America should yeah. be, right? That's oh, yeah, like yeah. we have our Italian, you know, tough guys and gangsters, and you know, uh, I love Italian cinema, but you know, there's something, you know, there's something about that American version of that that touched him and, and, and touched a lot of the world, frankly. Mm. Yeah, but if you watch 
we, we, you know, we won't be covering now because there's an awful lot. But if you look at like Leone's, um, let's say, American cinema, like they've got the mm-hmm. Dollars trilogy, and then you've got a Fistful of Dynamite, um, Once Upon a Time in the West, Once Upon a Time um, in the. It, was, it wasn't. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in America. Like, th- Which they're I think all. Is fascinating. It, they're all this archetype myth making more than than any you know, and as you say it's a, it's an it's it's an outsider's view of the 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 growth of the american dream or these american these american heroes or these american characters and it's fascinating and they're all great i mean you know i have i have mixed views on once upon a time in america i think it's a mm-hmm. it's a, it's an interesting film not one to revisit but maybe one day um but one thing I would say is about you know, the, what he took from Yojimbo, um, and is the, I'm talking. I'm thinking about the difference between sort of Sanjiro and well, not the difference, but the way that Sanjiro and Joe are pictured. Um, but, and weirdly, sort of like um, Sanjiro, as you know, as he walks into town, is. He, he, there's nobody else. He walks into town. You see the dog with the with the severed hand, and there's people poking from behind uh, windows and that sort of thing. But he walks through town. You see the swords, and he has this sort of like you know, almost like a scowl, like he's he is considering the world <laughs> around him. Like he's slightly confused, like where the hell is everybody? And then he has this confrontation. But it, it takes minutes. He holds the screen and it's very sort of like, but he, the way it's, there's a lot of like um, mid shots and up shots. And he's, he's pictured to be this sort of like lone warrior. Like it's, it's, it is abundantly clear from the get go. Um, what he is supposed to be, you know, like, yeah, you know, he is, he is coming to town in this way with, with, with a uh, fistful of dollars. Although you've got, like you say, Clint trying to play this, you know, macho character for for the most part, he still rides in on a jackass. <laughs> mm-hmm. He still rides in on an ass, and he this donkey, and he is shot at. He loses control of his his ass, has to jump off, and he takes it all in his stride. But he is not depicted as the hero, or he's not depicted in a heroic. Uh, even at the very beginning, so the first thing you see him, he rides into. He sees that he sees the small house and the kids going in to see. We, we learn his mother, and he gets thrown out, and he just drinks, and you just see him get on this donkey thing again. He's not depicted on like a stallion, like he's not, you know, he's not riding like a big strong horse. Um, his clothes aren't, you know, he's. I'm thinking of like Shane, or he's not wearing the white yeah. hat. Like he's, you know, he's not that stranger coming out of the thing like he's a he is a um a vagrant for all intent and purposes <laughs> yeah and you know do you know, do you know what i mean so yeah, he's right. and so it's a very different depiction um of of this character who you tr- you're supposed to so with with um with sanjiro i think you're supposed to have this sort of sense of strength and control and you sort of get a feel of who he is from the way he enters the town. Mm-hmm. And with Fistful, I think you're sort of supposed to be set up to underestimate the character a little bit, like everyone does. I mean, that's the point. They under the the, the fact the people that confront him underestimate him from the get the get go. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is one of my objections with Fistful and, you know, although I love it and, and objections with the, the dollar trilogy in general, um, you know, with Yojimbo, it's clear that he is a samurai and everything mm-hmm. that you're talking about indicates he's had that training. Mm. We understand why. I mean, it was illegal for a commoner to you know, hold a sword and and practice this. I mean, this was a caste society. Mm -hmm. And um, so Yojimbo comes, even though he he doesn't have a job, he's a ronin, he comes from this training and he's been trained to consider. Now, of course, all of this is a stereotype, right? I mean, we know historically the idea that samurai were noble, you know, uh, you know, while there was some talk about that it, it was you know look all of this is bullshit um you know th- they weren't you know they were you know gangsters they were mercenaries uh, for all intended purposes well right and you know i mean of course th- that situation is even worse when people romanticize like ninja you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like yeah. yeah they were they were set out to be mercenaries I mean, the same thing's true like you know in europe knights yeah, 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 yeah. Busy, you know, extorting money from people. Yes, I mean, they yeah. were gangsters. They were not anything we imagine. Um, so, of course, all of this is romanticized, but at least you can justify his masterful f- strategizing and swordsmanship as he's from that cast, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's had that training. With, um, with Joe, or, you know, the man with no name, you know, I object to how. You know, I like those moments that you're describing of him, you know, being imperfect, mm. um, struggling, uh, not able to piece it all together. And yet he is such a ridiculously accurate shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it's like, you know, where does this come from? And that persists through through the whole dollars trilogy of sort of he doesn't come. It's not like he comes from some cast. It's not like he, you know, has. He's had admantium infused into his bones or something. I mean, you know, why why is he such an uncanny shot? And I know that's part of a cliche, right? It's the cliche that he's just so damn good at what he does, right? Mm. But um, I don't know. I'm sometimes bothered by how that professionalism mixes with the things that I like about him not necessarily having a real plan. And, you know, um, one of one of the things that I love most about both of these films, and obviously Fizzful steals it from Yojimbo, is that the plan fails. And, yes. you know, in both cases, uh, the protagonist is captured and tortured brutally. Mm. Brutally. I mean, this is like... Well, we went through let, how many James Bond movies until we got to, you know, the yeah. torture scene that was in the original version of Casino Royale, the very first Bond book in which it's not glamorous at all. No. Um, and here it's there right from the beginning uh, in these films. Well, let, let's talk about that. Cause I want to talk about the, the, that point in both films. So the thing that happens in both cases is they are caught out. Um, and they so in, in Yojimbo he helps. Um, what'd you say her name was? The Maris. Oh, uh, Neil. Neil. Yeah, he he basically. Oui. You know, oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah, it happens in two different ways. So uh, in Yojimbo he sort of sets it up. He sends 
the one like say the idiot brother back to tell the others that the 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 guards have been killed um and mm-hmm. as he does it he actually goes in and kills the guards uh saves um the woman and sort of basically gives her the 30 rayu with her husband and child mm-hmm. who he now knows they have sort of a bit of their backstory and like he's, he's like go just you know look, go um and when they they don't confront him they don't sort of say why have you done this they don't they don't question it they just they just leave um and it's not until a little later when it's that, that's noted that they are spotted in another village and mm. it's sort of pieced together that the only person who could have killed them was mm. a samurai and so he gets sort of collared and he gets sort of it's it's his act of morality that gets him caught like you know he it blows the plan because the plan is to take down these gamblers in, in you know really and mm. it's so but mm. he, this divergence because they're gonna but i think they're gonna basically try to kill the husband they basically sort of got to a bit of point with the board of it but it then triggers other things doesn't it sort of it triggers the downfall of everything but it just it gets him beaten up and the same with um with joe like he, it's got to a point where he's like okay this and this has happened. You know, he's seen that the 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 Rojo have, have tricked the Mexican government. They've set up the Baxters and it's gone back and forth. And when the 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 exchange happens in that film, the son runs out, uh, Jesus, and the father runs out, and they're beaten back and all this other stuff. Hmm. And then he decides to intercede. Like he breaks into, he pretends to be drunk. I can't. Remember, I'm trying to think of the order now, but he basically sets it up so he breaks in to the Rojo camp, uh, to the compound. And then goes out to the small house. Oh no, he has to, he pretends to be drunk, doesn't he? I'm I'm right. He pretends to be drunk so they don't suspect him. He goes out to the small house, kills everyone, sets her free, gives them the five hundred dollars, and sends them. And then he, but when he, they say, "Why have you done this for us?" Hmm. he says, "You, I knew someone, I knew someone in this situation before, and I wasn't there to help them." Mm-hmm. And there's no explanation. Like you don't get a full exposition of like you know when I or a flashback or anything like you know when I was a child, my mother was. Like, you, you don't get that. You just get this sense of like I once loved a woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like you know, she, like he, but he doesn't have. He knows there's not time to tell him. He's like, just go, just get the hell out of here. And obviously, then he goes back and he's caught out because R- uh, Ramon is waiting for him and he, they beat him. So again, this divert. It's interesting that they're not paid they're not rewarded mm. for the sort of mm-hmm. the one true moral act that they both commit in this film they are punished for doing so which is interesting you know like they don't get away with it and again there's this thing of notion of sort of like um this sort of reminded me and i wanted to check something i haven't been able to it reminded me a little bit of like um Dashiell Dashiell Hammett novels, you know, the sort of Sam Slade, sort of like mm. um, Humphrey Bogart kind of gumshoe detective, sort of like event, you know, like I'm a bad guy but I do the right thing, sort of thing, and then get punished yeah. for it. Maltese Falcon kind of kind of deal, and it felt a little bit like that kind of thing as well, you know. No, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Mm. Yeah, and I think and I think that. You know, it, it's hard to miss the sense that, like, the these, you know, freeing the women in these respective narratives, um, and, and the, the the captured woman's husband and, and mm. child is an act of going off the plan. Yes, right. 
in, in both of these stories. Um, and, I, and I love the, the understated uh, uh, explanation that you quoted. Um, it, it, it's such a classic case of sort of less is more, right? Mm. We, we don't need the, the man with no names origin story, you no. know, X-Men origins, colon, the stranger. <laughs> um, you know, we don't need that. You know, this line of dialogue makes us imagine and identify with him so much more. You know, we suddenly think, oh, he's been to some dark places. You know, mm. and we think about how morality is is granted to us often through suffering and through our own experiences of making mistakes. Um, you know, it's through guilt that we learn, hey, don't do that again. <laughs> you know, yeah. that didn't feel good. Uh, and maybe try to be a better person. Um, but yeah, you're right. That, and, and I think that that these sort of going off track to to save these people, to help somebody, to to do this sort of outright morally correct thing um, that is so important. I mean, it's so hard not to feel for those protagonists and for these, you know, as good guys in these moments, um, that it's so obviously a a right thing. Um, mm. And yet, yeah, it bites them, it bites them in the ass and, and yeah. in a terrible way. Mm. Um, and I think that characterizes the the universes in which these films take place, right? That they are not moral universe. There is no uh yeah man with a gray beard watching overhead, <laughs> making sure that the just prosper. Um, that's not the way of the world. Uh, and it's certainly not the way of the world in these two films. Something I want to raise, though, that I think is interesting between these two. In in Yojimbo, I feel the two gangs are on equal footing. You know, mm. uh, whether it's the trading Silk or, or, or Saki or Brew, whatever, right? They feel like they're on equal footing because one's shown to be more aggressive than the other, but one of them has um, has a harem. Like they literally have women that they've bought. Mm. Like when you, you they, they, the one when um, the whorehouse. Uh, yeah, they've got a whorehouse. Yeah. So they see you on equal footing. Um, it's a cat house, see. Yeah, in fistful, I feel like, and I'm, I'm trying to sort of like the Baxters are played more i don't know like they, they like the rojos are shown to be more violent and aggressive and cutthroat than the baxters like you're shown that the baxters men are sort of like they're the ones that instigate they're the ones that originally shoot at, at joe but like you never really see them um they, you, they don't they're never shown to be as aggressive or cutthroat or anything as um the rojos Mm-hmm. Like when Marisol is 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 rescued, the first place um, he takes her is to the Baxters. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, at one point, you know, when when she's when you know when she is before the before the the trade off, um, and she's being treated well. The the woman, uh, the Baxter woman, her head of the household, is very sort of like you know she's she's watching over her and she's sort of. But there's there's no sort of like they don't appear to have like you said they don't see it appear to have. Um, uh, prostitutes working for them they they trade in in alcohol and and the rojos trading guns and gold and so and it's interesting that the backs have seemed to be played off more i wouldn't say weaker but like just less aggressive and it, i just didn't know if that was anything yeah it's also true that w- with that clever you know or certainly uh 
amusing ruse in the, the cemetery with propping the dead bodies up. Yeah. Um, you know, and he gets, um, you know, both factions to, to go there. Um, the Baxters um, are going there to get these survivors and get them to testify against the Rojos, right? Yes. So they even are more comfortable. They're the only ones who seem comfortable with using the government's system of justice in any way, shape, or form, yes. right? Yeah. Except for total corruption. Um, and I think you're right. I mean, it does not seem equal in the in um, in fistful. Um, it does seem much less equal. And and I think that to that point, when you get to the massacre at the ending, um, which which I think is marvelously done, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's a brilliant sequence. But there is that voice in the back of my mind that thinks, well, you know, why haven't the Rojos done this earlier? They're so brutal and they're so willing to do this. Um, they clearly could have done this at any time, right? There's no like break in the dam that that causes them to be able to just burn and destroy. Well, um, the, 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 they seem the to back. think that the, the only thing that seems to cause it is, um, it's, in fact, it's Joe's fault. Joe escapes. And he, mm-hmm. he hides in a coffin, doesn't he? Because he's been taken out of town. Mm-hmm. And they think that the Baxters are are um, harboring harboring him. Yeah. And so the, the, it's it's almost like an act of frustration. Um. But it almost but it sort of tells you that before before this is the point. This is sort of the point I was trying to make before that like Joe walks into something that's a status quo. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like so, him walking into town, like, they seem to work because he says, like, "Oh, there's the backs on one side, and the Rojos on the other." And I'm in the middle, like you don't see, um, like in your Jimbo, like um, Sanjiro sets up that battle, like he antagonizes both sides, doesn't he, mm-hmm. and instigates them to come out and for a bit of a, like a have a, a battle in the street. You don't see that in Fistful, like he doesn't antagonize them. It feels to me like there's. Yojimbo has more of an antagonistic relationship between the two gangs. Mm-hmm. There's almost a sort of, I wouldn't have said begrudging respect. It's almost like an indifference to each other. In they may have killed a few people off, but there's never been that. They they're not trading in the same things. Yes. So the Rojos and the the Baxters don't seem to be trading on each other's toes. And if anything, the only thing that is, because the Baxters, the only reason the Baxters want the law involved is to get rid of the Rojos so that they can then start trading guns with the Mexican government instead of uh, the Rojos. That's the point. Um, and they said, like, oh, yeah, we can't trust the Rojos because they've just literally killed the, the Mexican soldiers, uh, which, is, again, is, is that massacre is, is, is you know, brutal. Yeah. Um, so it's not, like it's not like they're looking to clean up the town. They actually just what they want their piece of the pie, but there's less of an antagonistic uh, approach to it. Whilst with uh, Yojimbo, it definitely feels like there's a bit of a tit for tat between the two, the two gangs. Yeah, I, I I I sense exactly what you're saying, and I and I think there is that that sense in Fistful that like these gangs are doing different things. They're in different sectors of the economy, right? Yeah. yeah. You know? That's fine. You know, you can understand. And I kind of like that. I like that element. Um, But it does suggest that there is um, avenues for cooperation here. Right. Mm. 
even if it's mutual grift, right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I think that that's part of how I justify that the massacre at the end hasn't happened sooner, right? That they are suspicious of each other, but that there is a kind of toleration, that there, a kind yes. of, you know, understanding that, yeah, we could go over and kill the Baxters, but, you know, and, or we could fight the Rojos, but there's more to be lost in really letting that escalate when we're yes. really doing different things um, than there is to be gained uh, yeah. of taking over. It there's feel- little trade. You know? yeah. it, it feels to me more so in Fistful that Joe as- acts as mm. um, a fuse to the situation. Like mm. everything, everything seems to be as a result of frustration. The last third of the film is a result of frustration, like where you've seen the antagonism between the two gangs in Yojimbo. I think it would have, it could have happened even without Yojimbo being on there. You feel like things could have escalated at some point because of something, especially with, with that brother coming back with the gun and being ambitious. Like you feel that something could have happened anyway. Um, so that, I, I always find that quite interesting. To, to go back to the torture, there, sort of, like, and to go back to the finale, um, if we, if we, if jumping around. Unless you want to go, is there anything else you yeah. want to say about the two gangs? Or uh, no, ex- except that, except that the their assistant in both films, it, it, it makes me think that those warnings that we they get, uh, especially in Fistful, have a different character, which is less, um, less. I'm worried for you don't get involved. These are terrible gangs and more like there's a delicate piece here. All you could do is be, you know, (laughs) not, you know, the white savior who winds up, you know, uh, doing too much and getting everybody to kill each other and then going, right. We sorted this out, you know, or as he steps over the dead bodies. But but yeah, the torture, the torture and the ending are both fascinating. Yeah. The the torture again is like, it's brutal. Like you, you, you know, and, 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 (laughs) Um, it, 1960s, I mean this is 1961 and 64 yeah. um, Released in 66 In America And um, yeah the, the MPAA Had real problems With <laughs> the beating that um, Clint Eastwood Takes um, In uh, In Fistful Because again I don't think Yojimbo was actually released in the, in America for, for a while Which is why there was never an issue <laughs> For this film yeah. when it first released Um um, and so you know, you know, he gets he gets punched, he gets beaten, he gets kicked. They sort of put a cigarette a cigar out on his hand. Another guy stamps on his hand. Like it is, and when you see him, like you know, his face is bloody and beaten and stuff. Like it's um, it's surprisingly graphic for the time. Um, and I, I kind of applaud that again that the hero sort of takes the beating. I I, I think that's become a little bit of a almost a cliche since this film, mm, you mm. know, um, akin to Die Hard, you know, you go through the super macho era of the Schwarzeneggers and Stallones and stuff, and then the heroes do take a beating, you know, usually in some sort of thriller. But um, this this yeah. does, this doesn't fit with the Western narrative, which I think is interesting. Yeah, John Wayne never... Had his arm broken and yeah. uh, and his face puffy and bloody, right? Mm. Um, especially his face. It's such a shock. And you just know 
Eastwood hated that, right? From mm. like the mugging that he's doing. He wants to be, I mean, it's like Bruce Willis, right? When, when he has his druthers, he's like, you know, John McClane wouldn't, wouldn't get hit, you know? Uh, but in Die Hard, he's, he's fucked up. Um, yeah, I mean, you could tell like, I, that's part of why it's so shocking. It, you know, I, I love that it's one thing to say that these films depict sort of amoral universes in which bad things happen and those bad things are just accepted. Mm. Um, and whether they're accepted because of poverty or culture or, or you know, racism, all of those reasons, lack of a federal, you know, uh, legal structure, whatever reasons, these are amoral universes in which people just accept that bad things happen. That's fine. Mm. Well and good. But to then establish that, yeah, bad things are going to happen to your protagonist. Yeah. And he might be the most skilled samurai, but he's not perfect. And even the most skilled person can get caught and tortured. Mm -hmm. um, and, and same thing with uh, Clint Eastwood. I love that so much. But and I think it's still, you say it's become a cliche. I think that's true. I, I mentioned like Casino Royale. I mean, I think we're able to accept this more today, but it's still shocking. It's yes. absolutely, and even, I mean, these are, I mean, Fistful is such a close remake to my mind. Uh, mm. It's staggering to me how, you know, this is not inspired by Yojimbo. Oh, no, no. It is just, it is absolutely, in some cases, not all, but in some cases, shot for shot. Like, it's clearly yes. influenced by the Kurosawa shot, mm. uh, yeah, again and again, which staggers me, you know. How how close it really is, but um, I forget what I was saying. Um, but how it's shocking, even yes. in both films, it is absolutely shocking. Not that he's caught, but that the torture goes on, and you see the damage to the hand, and you think, oh, he's not gonna ever make a full recovery, you know. Yeah. And in both cases, there's something so shocking about seeing the protagonist go through. Uh, something so brutal and so unromantic yeah and th one of the things that's 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 actually interesting as well that you know say has gone away is they slink off they have to be saved mm. both of them you know and, and i love the fact and again it, you know you can take it wherever you want like they have to climb into a coffin and then they are emerged from the coffin um you know a, a rebirth if you will um with with new purpose um but I like the fact as well, in both cases, when they escape, in fact, there's two things. So when they escape, like, the place is burning down around them. In Yojimbo, like, the, the brewery is being uh, thingy, and one gang is, like, again, it, it's, the, it's the same massacre. Like, they're burning down the brewery, and as people come out, because they're, they're looking for the samurai, they're looking for Sanjiro, and they are killing that gang, and someone comes out, drops their sword, and they are, they are sort of slashed down. And then the same with the Baxters, the Rojos attack the Baxter um household and they start killing everybody as they're burning it down and both sanjiro and joe watch on from the coffin they tell them to stop and they watch it for a few moments and there's no sort of like uh heroic bursting forth of the coffin or beaten up and carrying the wounds and gunning people down there's just a all right well I'm, i know this has happened and I'm, i've got to recover and they slink off to recover. Now, I won't say slink off, but like they are taken away to 
um, recover for a number for a period of time. But they are in hiding, and I think you you know that we've moved away from that in action movies where you know well into the eighties, you know. Um, Martin Riggs in lethal, you know, in lethal weapon could be tortured and electrocuted, <laughs> and then can still jump down and sprint barefoot yeah. through the streets of Los Angeles to take down the uh, the villain. Or, <laughs> you know, later on, a beaten up John McClane can jump off a jet fighter wing to slide down the back of a, a, a you know a lorry, whatever. Yeah, the, I mean, the Jason knee. Bourne can fall off a uh, his yeah. car can be thrown <laughs> off a freeway overpass yeah. and. You know, he, he'll, he'll stumble for, you know, exactly two paces. Uh, and then he's he's right back ready to parry and kill. Exactly. This thing of sort of like, yeah, this this thing of, of taking the damage has mm. gone away. And I, but I love the fact that both heroes have to re- retreat and regroup, but are given fresh purpose in this moment. Um, and uh, yeah, but, I mean, you, the point. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, well, no, go on, go on. before I go, because it's a separate point, but yeah. Well, I, w- I was going to say that it's their impotence in both scenes that is mm. most shocking. Um, not just that they're they're beaten, they're tortured. The desperation of the escape, which uses, mm-hmm. you know, again, shots stolen from Kurosawa. Um, they're both underneath houses. You see yeah. it's dirty. The, the desperation of this ploy. It's smart. They're smart. They have help. But... Mm-hmm that desperation comes through and then it is i i do think they hold on too long to watch the massacre in both cases mm-hmm. um where you think okay get out of there <laughs> you know, like yeah. you don't need to ascertain visually that every single person is dead you'd probably want to get to safety and hear that later uh secondhand but having said that you can understand why they don't intervene because it's like, right. I'm not a fan of either side. One side's getting wiped out. Mm-hmm. All right. Now I've only got the survivors of the other side to deal with. Um, you can understand why, you know, the, this, they wouldn't want to intervene. They wouldn't want to, um, you know, rescue uh, people. These are bad guys who they're against at the same time. they are people being massacred, cut down, mm-hmm. whether it was, mm-hmm. it was their guns, and it's striking that, yeah, no, let him, let him be killed. There yeah. doesn't seem to be much reluctance there, but also the total impotence, as you say, of, you know, not being able to intervene, of, no. yeah. you know, just, I need to recover. I'm not in any shape. I'm not going to jump out <laughs> and slice some people up. Um, and, and, and that's that impotence and how long the between, in both films, how long the capture the torture, the escape in dire mm. circumstances and the impotence and then the recovery takes is is really remarkable. Yeah, it's not something you do today. <coughs> I doubt you'd see this in any film today. Um, but even with the even with the return, it they, they hold a different line. Um, the so, when, you know, when, when it's announced and again, there's a trigger that instigates them going back. Like they're not fully recovered, but there's, there's something that triggers them going back. So they've been friends with, in both cases, the bartender of the town. And they are then, they are then visited by the undertaker who sort of says, you know, your friend has now been the, the, the gang that's left 
and I can't remember the names, but the, you know, the Japanese gang and then the Rojos have taken these characters and are torturing them to find out where you are because they've figured out that you are receiving uh, provisions. <coughs> um, and that sort of instigates him to come back to town. So with um, Sanjiro, like, he has a knife. That's all he's got. And he's willing to go into town with just that knife. Mm. And look at the Undertaker's like He says that he has a, a, quite a good line. He says, well... Yeah, well, the benefit of, of dealing with dead people is you sort of get their weapons. So he's, he's, brought, <laughs> this, uh, he's brought him a sword to, to go back into town. And it's never quite clear what what um, the plan is in Yojimbo. Like, whilst he's recuperating, it sort of is suggested he's going to go back, but there's no clear plan. In Fistful, like, him being in hiding is almost like an A-team moment. You know, he's sort of... <laughs> he he's he's, tre- he's checking his hand to see if his gun hand is is still good, and he's shooting something, and he spots that the bullets don't go through um, this this iron thing, and so he, he basically creates the bulletproof vest. Mm-hmm. Now I do like that because that's been set up repeatedly. Is that Ramon has this uh, Winchester rifle, mm-hmm. and um, what they do is they Thanks have a suit. Yeah, and he keeps saying that they have this suit of armor. They set it up right at the beginning, very early on when he meets the the Rojos. And he says, you know, this this you see this suit of armor, there's these bullet holes in it. And he says, oh, that's my brother Ramon. That's what he likes to do. He uses it for target practice. He always says, if you want to kill a man, shoot him in the heart. And then when they're having the party, they actually have a suit of armor out and they're all shooting at it. And so you know he's going to go for the heart. And so I like the fact that he has that... Um, thought no it's 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 brave because he ramon could have gone all right well that didn't work head like you know yeah sure should have should have got there but they've also set up this idea that when a man with a with a 45 which the the 45 pistol meets a man with a rifle the man with the you know the rifle will always win and so i like the fact they have throughout the film been setting up this conflict at the end This, this this is gonna be the confrontation um so that's what you get at the end I don't know why they got the dynamite. The dynamite seems excessive, but mm. um, you get that that confrontation, and I love that. But in your Jimbo, it is just a straight up fight. Yeah, like he turns up, and it's just sort of like, no, I'm pissed, and I have a sword, <laughs> and he kills a lot of them. But and the person with the gun is obviously, the, you know, it's almost like the man when a man with a sword meets a man with a gun, the man with the gun's going to win the fight. But it hasn't been set up in the same way to be a uh, a conflict of weapons. I don't know if right. that's a. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right that you know it's fascinating that there is this parallel of a conflict of weapons in both, right? Mm. I mean, um, and you know, there's also like the the reloading time as part of the conceit of of the conflict there in physical. Mm. Um, but you're right that the it's not as set up in in Yojimbo. Um, but it's also subtler. It, it it lacks that sort of a team element where you think, yeah. you know, okay, you know, this is smart, but it, it's a little uh, calculated. It's a little yeah. uh, convenient. Um, but but of course, you know, I mean, you and I are big fans of of Back to the Future, you know. Yeah. So I mean, and, and we've seen the improvised bulletproof vest a million <laughs> times. It's become such a cliche, and and here it is in its archetypal form. Yeah, I do like that. But again, I do like the final fight. So I think they both have they have a different energy. 
And I think that's mm. one of the things I like about it. Because the, the films do. The films have a different energy. There's like a rush of... Um, Yojimbo itself is like a rush of energy. Like it's it's a it's a it's a power play. Like it's one man versus a bunch of people. Like there are swords flying, there are blades flashing, and people are falling their front and center, or they're running away. Like there was moments when people, like you know, like these untrained swordsmen are dropping their weapons and running <laughs> off. I, I kind of like all that. And then he obviously has that confrontation with the guy with the gun, and 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 he takes him down, and you see him like literally like bleeding out on the floor. And there's been this sort of like you know this this, this burst of violence and um even as he sort of he says to him like you know i don't want to die without my gun in my hand i feel incomplete without it which is an interesting for a japanese film to be sort of like you know obviously i'll consider that for the sword or whatever but saying that for his pistol um and obviously even even sanjiro knows he's going to try and turn it on him but sort of sits there and waits for him as he sort of bleeds out and it's sort of after this flash of violence you get this quiet moment of this man dying in the last desperate thing to try and sort of, I don't do whatever. But with Fistful, it's like it's played out that, that it's almost in reverse. Everything's very calm. Like he walks in, you know, they've got the, 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 the smoke from the grenade, from the dynamite. And then he's shot and he goes down and he gets up. And there's this panic obviously coming over Rojo's, uh, Ramon's face. But it's, 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 it's calm in the sense that like, there's um, Joe isn't rushing for his gun. He just keeps saying to him, sort of like, you know, aim for the heart, Ramon. You know, sort of, he's antagonizing him. It's not until the end when he shows the bulletproof vest, and then they, you said they go for that thing about reloading the weapon. There's that mo, there's that, there's that energy, that energy sort of all of a sudden comes into play, that they sort of play in reverse, because um, he shoots the people around Ramon, doesn't he? Sort of like. And so I, I, kind of, I like the fact that they've utilised the weapons in different ways. Like they had to be used in different ways. Like if, if it wouldn't have worked if Joe had just come sprinting into town shooting everyone, it'd have looked ridiculous. Or like if he'd have walked in, they just all of a sudden they'd been a burst. It sort of. I like the fact that they play out differently. Yeah, and I, I think they both work, but in different mm. ways. Um, yeah, I love what you're saying about the sort of. F- fast, frenetic sort of pace, which, and I, and I think of, of Yojimbo's conclusion, and I think that that is more true to life, right? Mm. I mean, if, if you think about the fights that you and I have been in and witnessed, they, you know, there's a flash chaotic. of violence, yeah. right? It's chaotic. There's a flash of violence. And then people sort of quiet down and realize, oh, this guy needs to go to hospital. There's yeah. a serious injury here. Yeah. Um, and, and even in accounts of war, this is often how it works right you know mm. you stumble into the enemy or you know that somebody's in no man's land or whatever and suddenly there's a flash of violence and and then you figure out what the hell is going on and, yeah. and, and you know what what do we do here um so i do think yojimbo is more clear to true to life mm. i think fistful it works it just works so well but mm. it is it does feel melodramatic it does feel um, mythological you know, it's a, it's, yes it's a story you would tell isn't it like you know if mm. you were to tell this as a story that's how you would tell it like this legendary figure walking into town and taking on the villains in this way yeah and it's so triumphant right mm. i mean it is so triumphant for uh eastwood's character um 
and and yes, you see it's born of cleverness, and it's hard not to sympathize with him, uh, especially after he's been tortured. You know, mm. he deserves his revenge. Um, and these are bad people. At the same time, I mean, it's so cocky in a way that um, Sanjuro isn't. I mean, yeah. Sanjuro is quiet. And whereas Eastwood plays the stranger as, um, you know, this is a strong, silent type, but cocky in, in an American way that, yeah. you know, that, that really comes out in that conclusion. Um, not to disparage it. I mean, again, it it works. It's it's masterful. Mm. And I like what you're saying about how it is odd how quiet it is at first. Um, you know, and you think this is the finale, you know, especially in an era of, you know, the, the Marvel movies where everything's got to be exploding <laughs> at all yeah. times. You know, um, it, it does seem oddly charmingly quiet. Mm. But it does seem very melodramatic to me and, and very much triumphal, triumphalist, uh, very much a kind of, you know, coming from a sort of cult of the individual. Uh, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. That that that's a really interesting point. This idea of the cult of the individual um, is he 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 is still the lone hero. They're both still the lone hero. Mm-hmm. But there is the idea of the individual, that that lone hero is sort of like you know, it's the modernization of the the errant knight, as we say, sort of. Mm. And um, much like every other hero, they then wander off into the sunset, <laughs> you know, to appear in sequels. Um, if you consider uh, the Dollar trilogy is different, you know, he has a different name. He's technically. The man with no name was it was a marketing ploy that was <clears throat> made up because he does have a name in every single one of them. Um, They're just different. <laughs> he's just, yeah, you know the question. And it's it's kind of clear it's the same character, but you know the uh, other people are recast, right? I mean, between mm-hmm, the second mm-hmm. and the third, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, all right, well, you know, that's an odd choice. Um, yeah, and, Lee, Lee Van Cleef comes back to play two different characters and and who's great um, but yeah. it's like yeah you know it's a little strange i mean it's one thing like when somebody is on the third season of deep space nine and then they're <laughs> another character in the eighth it's another thing when it's back-to-back movies <laughs> yeah know? it's a little strange yeah but i do i do love the dollar trilogy i've never seen uh sanjuro the the sequel uh to this and i will i've now got bfi um uh, as a channel so i'm gonna watch try and get through a bunch of those but these are great, and you know, sometimes when we did this last, the question was like, which is better? Um, you know, when it's a remake, an original remake. You know, we talked to Evil Dead. There's, there's, there's pros and cons, but I think with this, like you say, they offer such different things that you know, I, I almost think like whilst they're very close, it's almost difficult. For me, at least, to say I, I couldn't pass them out as to which one I prefer. Like I, I, I get something different from each of them yeah i mean for me for me it's an it's an easy call yojimbo's better yeah uh and i love and i love fistful i think i think fistful is inferior to um the good the bad and the ugly mm, oh, yeah i, I, yeah, I think yeah, that's that indisputable mm. which which is just the masterpiece of of the western to me um and and certainly leone's masterpiece mm-hmm. um but, um, you know, Yojimbo, not only does it do it first, 
But as much as I love, I love Fistful and I love, you know, a Western done well, um, there is something so universal about these samurai plots, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about like Seven Samurai, that's been borrowed from and adapted a million times. Yeah. And, you know, the basic structure of that plot, just like the basic structure of this plot, which is one reason why Leone thought, you know, they shouldn't be sued, um, is a universal plot, right? These are very mm. basic plots. At the same time, there's something about these samurai stories, whether it's, you know, uh, whether it's Yojimbo, whether it's Seven Samurai, or even, you know, so many episodes of, like, Lone Wolf and Cub um, that can be taken out of that context and adapted into, you know, science fiction, into, mm-hmm. you know, anime, um, into uh, a Western. I mean, you can take those those plots and change those settings and it works in so many different elements and and it's almost universal and i don't feel like um i don't feel like fistful is that i feel like yojimbo has not only i mean once you see the two you realize how much of fistful is really just stolen just stolen Shot for shot, right? it's just like you know the way you frame this. Like this doesn't even. There, I mean, like the beating. I mean, you know, Fistful can't quite figure out whether it wants to be that mugging, you know, hero or it wants to be a very vulnerable guy. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a little more at odds with itself. But all that stuff that's he's vulnerable and that's really fascinating. It you know is stolen from from Yojimbo and and really has some of the same shots and some of the same lines where you think like, yeah. I mean, so to me, Yojimbo's better. And, and and I can imagine both being adapted to different genres and different contexts, mm. but, but Yojimbo does feel more, more resonant in a way to me. Well, I, I can understand that. I can appreciate that. I think one of the things as well is, I mean, I came to, I only came to Yojimbo in the last sort of four or five years. Mm-hmm. I've known the Dollars trilogy since I was a kid. And I think that plays into these things as well. Like the Dollars trilogy was sort of one of those films, I think, as a, you know, um, weirdly that sort of, I remember it being released as a special edition on video. <laughs> and so I was like, oh man, I've got to see these. Uh, and obviously, like you say, uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly um, stands out as, as a phenomenal film. It's, it's definitely up there as one of my favourites. Um, but yeah, Jimbo, coming to you, Jimbo, I can see that you, you, as you say, you see why it's been repeated so often. Like I say, it is so universal, but like it's here, it is in its almost purest form. Like these characters and the, this, this thing of like not being perfect and having to adapt and then making bad choices that lead you, you know, to be having the crap kicked out of you. Like, you know, because um, often like, you, you can watch the film and say, yeah, don't save the woman because then you can complete your other plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, you know, you, so I can see why this was adapted. And again, like you said, the adaptation of, of like Seven Samurai becomes Magnificent Seven, most notably um, with up to your Brenner, and, and that's in the sort of late sixties. But yeah, th- this was like this was remade. And I have seen a number of times. And you, you, it, the nineteen ninety five, I think it is Bruce Willis one. It's not great. I'll be honest with you, but it <laughs> is. But it is worth seeing. Actually, it's set in Prohibition. Uh, America in the 30s 
Um, it's obviously like a proper gangster, and it is an Italian gang versus an Irish gang for control of border crossings for alcohol during Prohibition. Um, and it's got Christopher Walken in as well, so it's not you know it's not terrible. It's actually it's worth seeing if you can get hold of it, just as a comparison piece. But you mentioned the Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai, and I, I recently watched the most recent version of that with Denzel Washington and, and in not too long ago, and I kind of like it. It's you know I'm always a sucker for uh, for a western, and one of the things I was watching that, and, and then recently. And this is an interesting one. So Zack Snyder originally, and I, I know I've got to bring him back to this, but I just wanted to mention your favorite it. director. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, restore the Snyderverse or shove it up your ass. I don't care. <laughs> but, but like, he was going to do a Star Wars film, and then it got canned, and they were like, "Oh no, we don't want to do that. We're going to go a different direction." But he's kept doing it, and, and Netflix bought the rights to it, and he's making it with them. Oh, right, yeah. And the plot was released, or at least a synopsis of the plot. And everyone was going, oh, my God, this sounds amazing. Now, the plot is this. On a troubled world, a young girl and her brother leave their town that's under siege from bandits to go out and bring together a band of warriors to come back and help them defeat the bandits. Uh-huh. And right. I'm like, all oh, right. So it's the Seven Samurai in space. And no one seems to have commented. It. I'm like, this is so, you know, clearly sort of. <laughs> Like you know, um, it, but it is universal. Like it could easily work, and I, you know, I don't care. You know, we'll see what happens. But like, I do agree that these these things. Like, I'm surprised and slightly shocked that this film, um, Yojimbo Fistful, this idea of this stranger walking into a town, was never made in the '90s or early 2000s during the sort of the craze of. Um, urban gangster films mm. like this film is is rife for like the bloods versus the crips and somebody you know there's the guy that walks into the middle of it you know um yeah well, two I street mean, course, gangs in los angeles fight you know do you know what i mean like why i'm surprised that there's not been that version of it i mean i can i can guess why there isn't besides it would be a mostly black cast which in the 90s you know uh, yeah, um, yeah 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 um Okay, so you know, first of all, is that person who walks in white? <laughs> if, if that person's white, then it's the white savior. You know, that wouldn't work. Like, no, that wouldn't watch work. him would murder need... a shit ton yeah. of black gangsters. <laughs> no, no, you, celebrate you would need it. Massacre in the streets of Harlem or, or whatever. In which case, or, yeah, South Central. In which case, there's yeah, there's ways to do it. Black gang versus Hispanic. I mean, I'm you know, I'm being yeah. really stereotypical, and I apologise for this, but this is this this is Hollywood talking. Yeah, black gang versus Hispanic gang. Okay, but and... but if but if it's like say a a black uh, veteran from like you know Iraq or you know the first Gulf War or something like that, you know, who comes comes home and just you know visits his uh, son or something and sees the two gangs and decides to intervene. Well, then America would have to believe that a black person could solve problems. And that's really, really social problems. And that's really hard to sell here. So yeah. especially in the 90s. Um, but yeah, it's true. But I know what you mean. Like, I, I, I bet you at some point that script was bouncing around somewhere. <laughs> I'm yeah, quite it, possibly. But... It, you know, I'd be well, shocked if it wasn't. What you said about about the Snyder plot, um, you know, reminds me. Um, 
when I was talking about the how adaptable and how universal Yojimbo feels, mm. um, that so much of what is obviously Star Wars, you know, we've talked about on um, stories out of time and space, um, and, but a lot of what's good and what works in Star Wars is stuff that's borrowed blatantly <laughs> from other stuff, including from Kurosawa. Yeah. And so you get to the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian is such a mixed bag <laughs> yeah. and everything that doesn't work every time that they pull in mythology and it's like, you know, Ashoka's here or whatever, you know, golly gee, you know, alert the fanboys. They go to the fan service and Boba Fett comes in. It's all horrible. It's horrible. Uh, I mean, the Luke Skywalker thing is fine, but I mean, by and large, when it wants to integrate into a wider mm -hmm. universe, it just fails and face plant plants on the ground. But all of those quiet episodes where they're ripping off one Kurosawa movie <laughs> after another, it's like they went through Kurosawa's catalog and said, all right, this is our, this is our Yojimbo episode. This is our <laughs> Seven Samurai episode. <laughs> Uh, this is Ran, you know, I mean, they, they just, those episodes are fantastic and they work and it's, and people watch them and they say, yeah, we kind of know it's influenced by Kurosawa, but this is the best Star Wars has ever been. <laughs> it's pretty telling that people agree the best Star Wars has ever been is when it was most clearly not connected to uh, anything Star Wars and just is Kurosawa with lightsabers, you know? Yes. That's very telling to me. Which also tells me that the story that um, Zack Snyder was originally going to tell would have been Seven Samurai with mm. lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so you know, which failed kind Jedi. of seen in the yeah. Mandalorian. But what's amazing is, you know, I mean, I have very mixed views of, of, of the Star Wars films, but those episodes, damn if they don't work for me. Mm. I showed them to friends. When the hell if I showed it, you know, been like, hey, hey, buddy, you got to check out this Star Wars thing. That's not a thing Julian often does. <laughs> um, and yet I think that demonstrates the tremendous power of Yojimbo and of this archetypal story. Yeah. And I think part of what is so amazing to me about that is how quiet, how understated um, and how particular uh, Kurosawa is that. This is not a wordy script that you could imagine. Oh, okay, there's a lot of material here to translate. Half of this film, and half of both films, is just the camera lingering over houses and overturned mm. carts and uh, dirt and roofs and all of the details of this in this environment, which would make it seem to be very particular, mm. not something that you should adapt. And yet, and yet, in adapting that. It's almost as if Kurosawa has freed these other creators to say, all right, this is a simple story, but but we can make our camera linger over a spaceport in, you know, um, in, um, uh, you know, in, in an anime, you know, yeah. uh, space cowboy thing um, or uh, or, you know, in Star Wars or we can linger over the Western town. And make it a character is the cliche, right? Make it come mm. alive. And Kurosawa shows you how to do it. Uh, and it seems so effortless. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, the tools are right there in front of you. 
Yeah, and, and it works as you keep saying. Like it works. Like when it works, it works. And I think you know that's why I think that people do go back to these. And I think I want I want people off the back of this episode, like you know, to go back. Like you know, not going to lie to you. All right, fistful of dollars is, is is easy access. It's sort of it's it's about what It's about hundred minutes long. It's an hour forty. Um, you know, you will notice certain things, which I, I want to sort of point on. Obviously, it was. It was made by an Italian director for an Italian production company shot in Spain with a mixed lingual cast. So everyone is redubbed. So you'll probably that, that's the first thing to sort of to note. Um, but it, it, you it sinks in fine and you get used to it within sort of like five minutes. With Yojimbo, it's two hours, 18 minutes. It's a, it's a black and white Japanese film in with subtitles like go in prepared. It's great, but you need to give it. I think you know you, you have to give it your attention. So please, please do. Final thing though, I wanted to just note. We said about this about the amorality of some of the characters, and especially sort of the Western mythologizing of of Joe in in Fistful of Dollars. So it was released in Italy, massive success. Um, so within a year, Clint was being made to come back to do uh, for a few dollars more. It wasn't made. He was offered, and he he decided to come back to do a few for a few dollars more. Um, got paid more, and obviously it helped his career. But it the the making of a few dollars more, uh, all this a success. Obviously reached America, which is where it was going to be shown, and it was shown mm-hmm. on the screens with a little bit of editing, or bit you know they would, I think they edited some stuff around the torture and stuff out. But it was a huge success. It made this kind of thing, and then it made it to television, and it made it, it made it to television a little bit later. Um, I think in the sort of um, late 60s early 70s and when it got to television they edited it again but also they had real problems with the amorality of the character and so they introduced um a, um and you can find this on the blu-ray or it's actually on youtube as well so go find it out a fistful of dollars tv opening and it's about a, about less than two minutes long wow did you know that about this no this is right. totally new to me so what it is, they couldn't get Clint Eastwood in, so you never see the you never see the strange you never see his face, but he's in a prison cell and he's taken from a prison cell into an office and he is told that his sentence will be commuted or or he'll be pardoned if he will go down to this town and he will clear it out of these two gangs. And all you see him is light a cigarette with his hat down. You see him light a cigarette or a cigar, one of those little black reed cigars, and then he leaves. And then it gets into the and then it goes into the music for the opening of the film. Wow. So it's pre-credits. And it was just tacked on. And the intent is that you are then to believe that the Clint Eastwood character is working for, I think he's supposed to be the Texas governor, if I remember rightly. He, so he is working for the Texas governor to clean up this town. So he then has an, a moral objective as to why he is there. Yeah. Yeah, Check I it mean, out. that's, a, it's that's on, it's an on, easy fix. Yeah, and that's fascinating. I, I can't wait to watch it as soon as this is over. Mm. Um, and the other point I just wanted to quickly make is obviously the influence this character had. I mean, like you know, mm. uh, the Clint Eastwood version. Stephen King used it for the Dark Tower series. That he is, yes. ro- he is Roland of Gilead. He's a gunslinger. Period. He's the gun- he, Full yeah, stop. He's the, yeah. yeah, and that's how this is who um, uh, Stephen King pictured. You know, and that's who they sort of sort of used in the artwork in the original sort of printings of the books. Um, and by the way, go check those out. I love those books. But also, like, Kurt Russell uh, is clearly channeling Clint Eastwood as Snake Plissken. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's been so many sort of, um, obviously, Django um, with 
I forget the guy's name now, but Django is clearly sort of a, t- a take on this same character. Um, uh, <laughs> everything from Emilio Estevez once did a film um, where he tried to play the same sort of character, making and, and you know playing the Django character as well as the sort of man with no name. The man with no name has just been repeated again and again and again in cartoons, in anime, you know, in anime, in film. Th- this character. This this figure, this this iconic sort of this monomyth that has been created is is in the West is so prevalent now that like you say, I think it's obviously beyond this film. But it's it's fascinating to see that this is where it was born out of this cheap, low budget Italian <laughs> spaghetti western. Well, I, I want to elaborate on that and 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 return to Yojimbo as well. But you know, I think that it's not just that people imitated uh, the sort of silent, tough guy type of mm. Colin Eastwood who could still get, you know, fucked up and, and hurt. But it's also that, um, you know, in, in terms of film history and Western history, the amorality and the anti-hero mm-hmm. was so shocking. And, you know, I mean, you think about the influence of that on war, the war genre, right? Yeah, yeah. Where, um, where, um, uh, you know, Westerns were transposed into war movies and in the war movies, the Americans were always the good guys, you know, and you see, you know, John Wayne does his horrible, uh, Vietnam film, which is really <laughs> just a John Wayne Western, you know, yeah. uh, pretending that Vietnam is the good fight of, of World War Two, as if World War Two weren't, wasn't also dirty, and, and, and horrifying, but, um, you know, this is an attempt to sort of carry that earlier good guy mode into forward into the Vietnam era. Mm. And Fistful perfectly fit the Vietnam era in terms of, yeah, even if we're doing a good thing over there, we're not exactly the good guys, right? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of dead people who don't deserve to be dead. Um, there's napalm, there's, you know, Agent Orange, I mean, yeah, people still thought that it was a good war, but I mean, if every year that passed, it was crystal clear, there's a lot of grace here. And in fighting communism, we're doing a lot of horrible things. Um, That's hard to justify and hard to live with. And I think that that was so revolutionary. And Mm. and when we see see anti-heroes in uh, movies, especially American movies, especially Westerns, but also war uh, characters who are allowed to, maybe they do a good thing, like save save the couple, but are allowed to be really gray characters who don't seem to be uh, inspired by doing good. Um, all of that owes a profound debt to the influence of, of his full of dollars, in my yeah. mind. Well, I think, you know, Clint, as you said as well, Clint Eastwood sort of knew he was onto a good thing. I mean, beyond this, he obviously made the rest of the Dollar Trilogy, uh, Fistful, a few dollars more, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But beyond that, I think the character of this obviously was re- redeemed. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, was brought to a close. There's a final chapter on this book in Unforgiven, which again is a fantastic film. It's well worth checking out. However, I would say even before that, he takes the character of this sort of the unnamed, you know, the, the man that rides out of the desert to the nth degree in High Plains Drifter. 
this anti-hero. Now, if anyone's ever seen High Plains Drifter, um, starts with there's a, there's a town called Largo. A guy rides into town, and there's basically this town is sort of uh, to be attacked by bandits. Um, but what you find out is that the, the previous the reason this town is, is is vulnerable is because the previous sheriff was dragged out by the bandits and killed. And so this this guy comes into town and says, yeah, yeah, you know, well, basically sort of like, not yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll help you out. Kind of really gruff. <laughs> Within the first five minutes of the film, he rapes the local prostitute. Um, she then falls from, it has real problems. And this film has got, it does not age well. It's a great film, but it, doesn't, it hasn't aged well. But he basically sort of uh, can, helps. It's one of those films that he, he um, trains the town to um, prepare to defend itself. You know, it's that kind of film. Uh, and then he paints the town red, and instead of Largo, it's called Hell. Um, and when the bandits come, he sort of basically sets the town on fire, and he kills the bandits. And the film is left with you. Now, Clint and the director has said, they always said, thought, thought it was clear, that the man who rode into town was the brother of the sheriff who was killed the the, the year before, or some time before. However, if you watch the film, people have often said it's a supernatural film and this is actually the ghost or some version of this dead sheriff who's actually come ah. back to not only take revenge, but has also taken revenge on the town that let him die, that stood by and let him die. But the, it, it, the fir- it, it's well worth seeing. It's a really good film. It's 1974, I think. Um, but, 73, um, I think. 73, almost oh, close. Um, yeah, good but, one. <laughs> um, it's well worth seeing High Plains Drifter, but it's it's him taking sort of like the man with no name to like the nth degree of anti-hero. Like how far can you push him before he becomes a villain? Um, yeah. And it's a really interesting piece. It's in, in that song. It's it sort of weirdly when you buy the um, when you buy the Dollars Trilogy from it's MGM that own it. So when they, they, then they sold it as a Blu-ray, they sold it with Hang Em High. Which is an earlier western that makes it's still pretty good. It's not bad. It's against a revenge film about a man who was wrongly hung and sort of you know becomes a marshal to take revenge on the men that hung him and killed his family. But to me, High Plains Drifter is a, is the true sort of progression to the nth degree of this character. Um, you know, like weirdly, like if you were to take as we sort of said, like the cop hero figure, the nth degree is like dread. You know, like if you were to yeah. take that that you know the the no-nonsense policeman. Like, if you take Dirty Harry to the nth degree, you get Judge Dredd. Yeah. If you were to take the man with no name to the nth degree, you get High Plains Drifter. Um, and it's violent, and it's dark, but um, it's it's well worth seeing. Well, and I think that, obviously, you know, the Dirty Harry while, type, while a, um, well, more of a quote-unquote good guy, right? Mm. Just a bad good guy, you know, yeah. um, still owns owes a lot to you know the the man with no name obviously you know it's just a, it's a permutation on the man with no name that then goes its own direction into oh Robocop. yeah right yeah well even even you were saying about eastwood sort of finding his style in mm-hmm. this film at the beginning when he talks about his mule and he says that you know um like you know if you basically tell his guys you got to apologize and he sort of what he said he says uh you know i know that you know, you know, you weren't laughing at him, but he's got this crazy idea that you're laughing at him. All you need to do is apologize. And mm. obviously, he's having that that whole sort of spiel, that speech, the 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 cadence and the the gravel that he's putting into it. 
Mm. Jump forward to yeah. 70, 71, and it's this is a 45 Magnum, the most yes. powerful handgun in the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it, it's that same cadence, that same speech, like you know, that 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 learnt tone that he is using is very intentional um to deliver those sort of speeches. Yeah, and it, it's also a moment of re- both are moments of real b- bullying, and that's why <laughs> that cadence sort of works, right? It's mm. taunting somebody who you have the power of life and death over, <laughs> uh, which is really not a nice thing. No. Uh, I was thinking about, I, I haven't seen High Plains Drifter, but I was thinking about how, you know, going back to the Vietnam era, High Plains Drifter is 73, Mm-hmm. And, you know, it sort of reminds me of, um, you know, we see some of this in Fistful with, the, you know, the burning of uh, at least, you know, uh, one major building. But, um, you know, this idea of we had to destroy the town to save it. Right. Yes. Like I which is very Vietnam era. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're the good guy. You <laughs> took care of the bad guys. You won, quote unquote. but. You know, the town is now a wreck. It's like Dresden after the war, you know? Yeah, or, or, or you know, Wax World after Arnold Rimmer visits it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, I, I feel like that. I'm not, there, there are counters, and it's, it's something to be looked at maybe one day is uh, Clint Eastwood's Westerns in how he portrays this thing. Because you get, you get people, you get these characters either side of this notion of of this thing because you get you know an interesting one is um the outlaw josie wales mm-hmm. um which is very much a defensive character but he is a southern he was on the side of the confederacy like that's the character so it's an interesting sort of portrayal in that one again family killed um but a, a, another a further version of of um which film it is but you've got pale rider another one where like you know he's a priest or he pretends to be a priest and comes into town and then sort of acts of violence is very much about this sort of duality of morality you know the duality of of moral acts can you Mm. do bad things for good causes and 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 where's the line um and obviously that sums up in in unforgiven and i would not be surprised if there's not a book about this looking at the sort of especially the Eastwood portrayal of, of Western characters. Because John Wayne, like you said, was clear cut. You know, if you know, if you're an Indian, you're probably dead, you know, <laughs> if he's in a cavalry film. Um and these other things. And and I think I don't know enough about the American Western. I've s I know not I know the Eastwood filmography pretty well, but I often think of like Shane in fifty four mm-hmm. being this sort of like the death of the the, the original clean cut Mm-hmm. Uh, hero, you know, they, even Shane himself admits to sort of like, um, and Shane's a great film again because it's sort of like you say about the same morality, like you know, he comes in and he looks like the sort of the uh, the hero, you know, the tassels on his chaps and all sort of the crap. But even in that, like he says, like there's a there's a, there's a discussion where he's like, no, I'm I'm a gunfighter, like you know, <laughs> like I don't do. You know, he tries to make out that he's always done good, th- good things, but like, there's always that notion of like you've killed people, and you're mm-hmm. showing. I think it's when the boy he's showing the boy how to use the gun, and it's like, yeah, no, that's not what this town is for. And he has to sort of like, you know, so even at the end of it, when he's won in inverted commas and he's dying, he's like, 
I can't stay. Like I will corrupt this town with the violence I bring. And so, and then obviously, you know, that's him going out into the wilderness. But that violence happily then comes back with Eastwood and and others um, from Europe. Well, I you know I I mentioned that I've been I've been reading Jean Le Carré stuff, mm. um, and it strikes me now that all of this is produced in the context of the Cold War, and the mm. idea of. Um, you know, we're the good guys and we're fighting for a cause, right? Mm. And and you have the sort of rah-rah, sort of World War II and post-World War II sort of like, right, you know, like the commies are bad and, you know, like the Korean War is going to be great, you know? <laughs> Not so much. But people, you know, I mean, people weren't aware. In the, I mean, it's weird that the Korean, I mean, the Korean War was not depicted in the world press as the kind of brutal Vietnam like yes. thing that it really was. Um, but there, I mean, at least there, there seemed to be clear good guys and bad guys, mm-hmm. right? Um, at least to the West. Um, and then you get into the Vietnam war and, and you get into a sort of wider acceptance that, you know, we are doing things as part of fighting communism that are horrifying and we are in bed with dictators and <laughs> torturers and you know because they support capitalism you know and we're overthrowing you know democratically elected governments because they are a little too socialist well, or friendly with moscow and it's very hard and you can still justify it right? yeah, 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 yeah. but it's very hard to pretend that there isn't a, a morally or ethically gray area here and then you get to the post-war cold war era where all bets are off and you can only make unforgiven in that era right Mm -hmm. you could not make unforgiven in in 1989 you know and and so all bets are off and you know then the mission right the assumption that this is all for a good cause kind of evaporates and then it's yes. like, yeah, we thought we were doing well, it for a good cause, but what was it really all for? I, I think that gets challenged a little earlier. And I think, you know, yeah. um, sort of to bring this sort of around to the the, the, the lone stranger, mm-hmm. this idea of the stranger wandering into town, whether he be a samurai or, a, you know, on the back of a, a, a mule. Talking about that, what you just said there about the Cold War, especially about Vietnam, the one thing I spring to mind is John Rambo. Now, not not, mm. I'm talking First Blood, like the first yeah. one, 1982, and um, that idea is like John Rambo, like he's just looking for his friend. Like he goes to see his to see his family and, and finds out that his friend had died from cancer the year before because of Agent Orange, and so he just walks into town, this town, to get some food. Like he's a, he's a vagrant, much like. Our samurai friend, or our um, he, he's basically a vagrant with skills, right? Mm-hmm. So he should be welcomed, or he should walk into a situation where he will become the savior. But in, in them situations, he's actually fully rejected by the order that now exists, and it's that order in, in that rejection from that that obviously instigates the rest of the film. But again, he's still the same character that that laconic. Um, 
fighter that's that's without a master that is looking for a home or some or whether it be money or whatever and he you know the difference is from these other films like he is rejected he doesn't find he's he there's even a line in it basically says i wasn't looking for a fight you created the fight Mm -hmm. you know and it's it's just interesting how you know I, i just find that interesting that even before the end of the cold war we were already questioning the sort of the role of these these men these these sort of strong however i say that then the, the figure of rambo gets corrupted to become a figure of popular nationalism in both the second yes. and third films but, but but you know i mean certainly there were especially once one gets into um i mean the late 70s and, and then cinema in the 80s there were uh films and then plenty of books that were questioning america's yeah. goodness in vietnam but I think after the Cold War, I, I, what seems to change is that the people in charge aren't depicted as believing any of this either, right? Yes. Like there yeah, was yeah. no one in the echelon from the, the you know, if anyone believes in the cause, um, it's not, you know, it's not uh, FDR sending boys to their death in the name of a good cause. It's the grunt on the ground who believes he's operating in a good cause, but nobody over him <laughs> gives a shit about him or capitalism no. or anything. Well, if you think about it, the, the, you know, th- this was crystallized with um, a, a, a perfect Cold War figure. When James Bond returned with Goldeneye um, in 1995, mm-hmm. there was exactly that. Like they brought in Dame Judi Dench to play um, uh, M. And she actually says to him, like, you are a desert, you are a dinosaur, a figure from a bygone age. The Cold War is over. The world doesn't need men like you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that shows I've seen that film way too many times. Um, <laughs> but you're right. But that's that drawing of the line, isn't it? Like, you know, the times have changed and Hollywood can, can continue to try and rebel against that by having these yeah. causes. All right. Well, it's not Russians. Who's it going to be? Well, it's the Middle East. OK, well, it's terrorism. Who else can it be? Like, we're going to have to make up an organization. And then again, we've talked about this. You know, we then get 9-11 and all of a sudden it's like, you know, this sounds awful, but Hollywood's like, yes, <laughs> yeah, we have absolutely. we have a valid enemy to be to be fighting against. Well, and it's, it's not and it's not just fiction. I mean, it's also I remember the way the first Gulf War was sold. Mm. Um, you know, one of the one of the best things I, I have said this before, but I think one of the best things about America and it's not just America is that even our worst wars were sold to us on humanitarian grounds. Yes. Um, and, I, and I'm proud of that fact. Having said that, you know, we do constantly build up people like Saddam Hussein into he's just like Hitler. If we can only stop yeah. Hitler, you know, and, you know, make up atrocities and, and you know, just absolutely why? I mean, just propaganda mm. coming out of the Pentagon, which, you know, it's hard for me to pardon liars. Um, but but even in that, it's this desperate attempt to, like, let's get back to, you know, Let's get back to the good old days of the Cold War. You know, we need a good enemy because it's only in comparison to the enemy that you can say, you know, I mean, again, going back to Le Carre, uh, you know, Britain especially has suffered for this because America can fall back on. We're the land of the free. We're, we're you know, an immigrant country. We could fall back on these 
mythologies of ourselves. Yeah. Uh, Britain, in the wake of the Cold War, flounders even more because, you know, those mythologies in America were strengthened Mm -hmm. by having opposition. Britain, in the wake of opposition, becomes much more rudderless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, all of this comes out of these films. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I think it's very true. Anyway, I think we've gone... That that was a wonderful little rabbit hole I wanted to track down, but... Let me offer one final thought. Mm. We're talking about the influence... I know we're over time, but we're talking about the influence of Fistful. Let me just say, uh, Yojimbo illustrates uh, the fundamental internationality of art and the importance of knowing foreign film because Yojimbo was... Uh, and Kurosawa was borrowing from Western film. He was borrowing wide shots. He was borrowing narrative structures. He was doing things in Japanese film that were influenced by the West. Uh, and in turn, Yojimbo gets stolen and yeah. turned into an Italian film, yeah. which is fundamentally an Italian film. It's not yeah. an American film that is about an American subject that yeah. has profound influence on all of American cinema going forward. And this shows, even in the 60s, that, you know, you cannot understand any nation's artistic output or culture without understanding this international context of borrowing, and no nation is an island. No. It's not appropriation, it's homage. I think that's what we're going to get down to. (laughs) And it's... it's, that 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 merging of ideas, though, like I say, the influences these films have had... You're right, because Eric Kurosawa... And, and Yuji was not created in a vacuum. And, you know, you know way more about Kurosawa than I do, but like, yeah, post-World War II, like, Japan was flooded, for propaganda reasons, with American cinema. So he was making films in that, or at least coming up as, as a director in that era, being directed by American censors based in Japan that were making him make specific films. So... <laughs> The, the, the you know the snake starts to eat its own tail in these sort of situations. Anyway, this has been awesome. Like you know, I knew you know this hasn't been you know the, for, for you and I this has been it's no sci-fi. This has been completely aside from the usual what we do on uh, uh, the sister podcast uh, stories out of time and space. Please go check if you enjoyed this conversation. Go check out stories out of time and space uh, on all the podcast catchers because it's Julian and I talking about a whole host of science fiction films from. Uh, all over the world, like we do, we've done Russian, we've done uh, Japanese, we've done American, we've done uh, French, uh, or no, Spanish and French, yeah. So we've done all kinds of films. So do go, you know, go check that out. Uh, but if you're enjoying this film, um, sorry, if you're enjoying this podcast, leave a review, <laughs> four stars, five stars, let us know what you think, and also go check out uh, our Patreon. More discussion with Julian and I uh, about the Twilight Zone. Great stuff as we're working our way through the Twilight Zone episode by episode. Uh, trekking through the twilight zone and there's a whole bunch of other sort of podcasty content on there link down below but julian thank you for coming on to 20th century geek to talk um more wonderful uh movies it's always my honor i love you man and i love this podcast uh and it's a thrill and, and thank you everyone for listening yes no guys thank you very much and let us know like you know if you've been watching yojimbo or fistful like you know what are your thoughts um and you know what are your thoughts and it has influenced you um, but if you haven't seen them, please go check them out. They're fantastic films uh, and readily available on a number of streaming services. Uh, but for now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, we shall see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.